This is Retake, a show about enjoying the cinematic arts. This includes new films, old films, TV shows, pretty much anything that catches our fancy. I'm Joe. I'll be one of your hosts today on the cinematic journey. With us is also my friend, the Night Owl co-founder, Mr. TJ Draper. Hello, Joe. How are you doing? I'm doing swell. Excellent. I'm taken back to the 80s. You see that? I used the word swell. I'm trying to update my vocabulary. <laughs> swell, Joe? This, swell? This There's is... not many people that would feel comfortable using that word. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite And if you don't movies. get that reference, you're dead to me. We're going to have to go back to that movie sometime. <laughs> we will. It's we, one of my favorites. I don't think we ever reviewed that on Movie Bite. I think it's wide open to feel completely at home with. Oh, seriously. Of all the yeah. movies we talked about, and it's on my top 10. <laughs> Well, no yeah. spoilers for that show. You're going to have to just keep listening to the series to find out what movie we're talking about. Yeah, the people may not even know, and then they'll have to look it up. Maybe they'll take the the words that I've said and put them into this Google machine, and maybe they'll sp- maybe it'll spit out the right thing. Maybe it won't. Who knows? You know, maybe it's just this show. That, but I feel like more '80s and '70s nostalgia is coming on every day. What do you think? I agree. Um, even with the, yeah, just the trends toward flatter design even started back before the show came out, Joe. Uh, you know, where, although the design in the 80s may have been flatter, but it had a lot more like flat drop shadowy things, which was <laughs> completely different. So I don't know, whatever. No, I, I hadn't <laughs> thought about that comparison, but that is a good connection there. Yeah, it was very flat, but it still felt more 3D because you had a lot of hard drop shadows and things like that. But it also brought in the skeuomorphic era, which we can talk about some other day and avoid until the need arises. I feel like that's a different show. <laughs> it's a very different show. What, what is happening? Well, so so we should dive into the content. We're This is our second episode dealing with Stranger Things, the Netflix uh, TV series. Is it TV when it's on Netflix? I watch it on my TV, so I'm going to call it a TV series. It's Stranger Things uh, part two of our installment here. Uh, and this is dealing, we, we've uh, finished up. Both of us have watched all eight episodes now, and we're going to focus some on the story more than just the details and the 80s and the things that we kind of did last time. So uh, what what do you, Joe, what do you have in mind here? I know that you, you're you really into the story, I think more than me. You keep uh, you keep messaging me about this great stuff and, oh man, did episode seven, this thing, oh man. So why don't you, why don't you dive in here, Joe? Yeah, so to prime our audience, I I think that you all know as you're on this journey with us, hopefully you've already watched this show because every episode unpacks all kinds of things that would happen that you would deem a spoiler. So for the first few minutes, we're going to do our best to avoid the spoilers and then we'll give you a good spoiler alert. (laughs) Yes, TJ, we are going to twist your arms, both of them, and make you wait (laughs) for the spoilers. Okay. I I just got to say... This show is where it's at for um, like follow through. Just seeing the last four episodes now, you've seen all four, right? Yes, I've seen all eight episodes of this TV show. Yes. It feels like one great big movie, but at the same time, it's very episodic. It is the perfect mixture of a serial, but also like feature film quality. And well, it's I love a, it's it. a lot like um, It's a lot like a book. But but a movie because it's basically they're even calling the episodes chapters, so it's like eight chapters of a book, honestly. And it really feels like we're only eight chapters into this longer book because there's so much more to come. It's very obvious we still have a lot to deal with. We don't know anything about the uh, is, is this a spoiler? I don't know. We don't know anything about the shadowy government stuff going on yet. Um, we just know that it's been dealt with for a, a, temporarily, but nothing nothing has really changed in that regard. Uh, there's still a lot of fallout that we're going to have to deal with that they've gone through. 
uh, there, there's a lot here. I feel like there's several more seasons of eight chapters each that, that we can kind of fit in there. And that goes right along with the idea of this being a book in movie form. I, I, I think that's a really good analogy. It also is an ensemble cast story. So you don't feel like it's dwelling too heavily on a central character. And at times, if you spread out the episodes in your viewing, you may even forget like who the central character might be or should be. For a while, it feels like the mother and uh, Joyce Byers. And then at other times, it feels like Jim Hopper, the sheriff. And then it comes back to maybe it's even Nancy Wheeler, the teenage girl who is rising to the occasion and trying to do things to help out, well, everybody. You know, so so it just seems like that they had just a fantastic mixture. I don't know if this was inspired by the movement that Joss Whedon created but it definitely has that influence, whether it's intentional or not, that this is a show that everybody can enjoy because you have young and old, you have men and women, you have, uh, you have nerds, you have uh, like the mainstream yokels, the muggles, and everybody else in between. So, but like you said, there are these secrets. And uh, going back to that for a second, I was actually wondering up till about, 40 minutes into episode eight, the last of season one, whether or not they would wrap up just enough that we didn't need an explanation about the secrets of the government or the strangeness of the villain. And they just wanted us to think that this was the conclusion of one story to come in Stranger Things. And I didn't read any articles. I didn't read ahead to find out what they're doing with second season. So I wondered, was this going to be sort of like Stranger Things season two would pick up with another story and invent a completely different scenario that may not even be at the same time. And it was just like the chronicles of Stranger Things, not necessarily to do with the same people, but all under the theme of strange things happening to everyday people. I wondered that up to the last minute. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It's it's very obvious, though, in retrospect now, having seen all eight episodes, that they're they're building a singular story out, out of this, and I think that's good. Um, this this kind of um, one thing that I was thinking of is I, I think I've alluded to this in the previous episode. If I didn't outright say it, it's it really scratched an itch for me where I was missing a TV show called Fringe, and and this really kind of and so it's a very similar concept, and and I like how you mentioned in this show. That sometimes the main character changes from episode to episode, or even within the episode, and that's that's great because you get that in Fringe too. You have a a cast, you have the primary actors, but then each episode is it's it's not always Olivia Dunham in Fringe that's the main. Like sometimes you spend a lot more time with Walter, or sometimes with uh, um, Joshua Jackson's character. I can't think of his name right at the moment. It's been so long since I've seen the show. That's sad. But anyway, the same thing is happening here. You spend some time with the boys. You spend some time with uh, one of the boys. You spend some time with Nancy. You spend some time with Hopper. You know, uh, you spend some time with uh, Joyce, just like you mentioned. And the, the one thing that, that I felt was missing that we're going to get more of is any time at all with Will. Now, I, I feel like in the next season, we're going to get to know Will a lot better. I think that's that's very obvious that the next season will focus some on him for, for reasons we can't say yet because apparently we're not supposed to spoil it. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was about to ask you, who's Will? <laughs> there are so many characters. I didn't catch his name here in the cast list. Oh, so Will is the, the boy that goes missing in the very first episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought his name was Mike. Was that the, was that Will's best friend? The Yeah, the Mike is one of, 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure Mike is the one that's close to Al. You, you are right. It's a little hard to keep the name straight, but I think I just Mike had is those the one that's close to reversed. Yeah, yeah. Mike is the one that that got really close to L eleven. Um, Dustin, I know, is the one with the front teeth problem, and uh, I can't remember the other kid's name right off the top of my head. If I scroll um, through this list here, Lucas Sinclair. Lucas Sinclair. There you go. Yes. Oh, good so names. It's hard to keep all these names straight. Yes. All great little notes that just tell a compelling story that has a novelization feel to it, but also uh, just again a clever level of eighties film style to it too. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure all characters in movies and TV shows today have names too that are just as straight up as names like Dustin Henderson and Jonathan Byers, but it feels really consistent with genre cliches, but also effective cliches. When I say cliches, I don't mean all the bad ones. I mean like good ones too, where everything just makes a great nostalgic series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you want to talk a little bit about the, there was a great turning point at the end of episode four and again with episode five. And even though that was really compelling where there was these um, great uh, like cliffhangers, I was wondering, is the story about to take a turn where it's not as interesting and maybe the story is less effective for the last half of season one? Maybe they would hit some, maybe they hit their peak and now they're going to go down a little bit until they have a fantastic finale or something. But that didn't turn out to be the case. It was consistent and even more compelling, I felt, between episodes six, seven, and eight. Yeah, I think so. I think four really was the turning point. It was interesting. It had captured me by, I think, the end of the second episode. But I think after episode four, can can we can we go ahead and go into spoilers here, Joe? Well, I just that- want well. Let me say one more note here. I feel like this story could have easily been told as a two-hour feature-length film, and it could have probably also had been stretched out if this was like on regular television networks. It could have been stretched out to something like sixteen or twenty-four episodes. Yeah, but, but I feel like that would have broke the tenor of the story. I feel like absolutely. eight was perfect. And that's what I was going to say was at the times that my – where I have been wired at, to expect the shows to fail and start lingering and dragging and going into the more soap opera territory or do something crazy with the characters and their their story arcs where they, they're they completely out of character, those things didn't happen because eight episodes was just the right amount that they didn't have time to derail the show by trying to stretch it out longer than it was worth. No, and I feel like perhaps maybe 10 episodes would have been fine too. I think that stretching it out any longer though, 10, 10 may have allowed it to breathe just a little more. I, I kept thinking maybe we could have spent a little more time getting to know some of these people, but eight was pretty good. I'm not complaining at all. And I I, I completely agree with you. This is the sort of show, and and hmm, so many shows that I've watched, I've I, like um, Stargate SG-1 is like this. You don't, there is no point at which you go I wish there was less episodes in the season um fringe I never wished for less episodes in a season but then you get something like um the flash this past season um and and you feel like if they had if they had condensed the story down trimmed the fat got rid of a few episodes and condensed it down into about 10 episodes it would have been a a much better story 
And and that that happens a lot on TV where there the in, in in American television anyway there's just this idea that you have to have a full season of 20 episodes and maybe they'll give you a half season at 13 or something like that but typically a full episode is is a full season is 20 episodes and that just causes so many problems and with the Netflix model they don't, they can make a season however long it needs to be and I think that works really well. Okay so we'll sound the spoiler alert now so if you haven't finished the series we recommend you finish it before you continue yeah yeah and and one of the things joe you um you can stop me if you want to do something else but i i have a list of episodes here in front of me with summaries and i thought we could just quickly uh go through each episode and uh, kind of remember and kind of say this is this was great about the way the story unfolded if, if that's all right with you yes please that sounds good so episode one starts obviously in 1983. We've talked at length about that in the previous episode. We're in the small town of Hawkins, Indiana. A scientist is attacked at the beginning of the of the episode, and we start to get this sense that maybe it's from another world. We meet the boys, uh, four of the boys, uh, one of whom we don't spend any more time with after this episode until the very last episode. Um, they're geeking out playing Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, then the you know he disappears. And then they, you know, they they meet in the woods a young girl who we've seen uh, escape from the facility, um, and she's wearing. No, oh, actually, we didn't. Did we see her escape from the facility? I don't remember. I remember um, seeing her wandering around and being found, but I don't remember her. Yeah, maybe we didn't see her escape. We just saw her wandering around in the woods, and that's she. She comes across the diner, and this this guy who seemed like a nice guy, he takes her in, but the, at the diner, but then you know, bad things happen to him. Uh, men are, you know, dangerous looking men are searching for the girl. The boys discover, uh, the girl in the woods and, uh, they're searching for Will. They discover, they discover that, that she can, can help them do that because she has some sort of undefined at this point, but still some sort of supernatural, unnatural powers. I was also wondering back there at that stage of the series, was this going to be about werewolves and. Yeah, we didn't know monsters that we are familiar with like that or was it going to be more like aliens and they pace themselves to reveal just little bits by bits and uh so it was by fourth episodes and i had a good idea that this was not about your tried and true monsters but was about something else yeah yeah well i got i i think earlier on i i realized by i I, even in the first episode i was like this is very much sci-fi um and, there and were the, compelling and, reasons to think so because of how yeah. well because of the boys' interests. But but actually, having watched all eight episodes now, I'm kind of revising that a little. There's a lot of sci-fi going on here. Obviously, the 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 evil men in the in the laboratory are scientific, but it's it's almost more of a fantasy realm that we find out about this upside down. You know, there's some science trappings around it. But it's much more in the line of fantasy, I would say. Not as much as a Harry Potter where everything that happens in Harry's world is fantasy. Yeah, it doesn't have to do with magic, but it has to yeah. do with multidimensional stuff, a little bit more like Marvel, Marvel's it's, universe. For me, this falls on the scale somewhere between a Star Wars, which is pretty much fantasy with a little sci-fi thrown in, and, and then there's Star Trek, which is straight up sci-fi. Not hard sci-fi, but it is considered to be. It's not fantasy. They're saying this is a real. We're trying to make this a real world you could live in, and this is somewhere in between those two. I would say um, yep. with a with a heavy dose of J.J. Abrams' Super Eight thrown in. Y- yes, I've never seen Super Eight, but I can see exactly what you're saying from the trailers and the various things that I've seen about Super Eight. So yeah, if you I the think feature yes. length film version of this series, then watch that movie. 
I, I, I've been wanting to watch Super 8 for so long, and it's going to happen soon. In fact, we may review it on this on this uh, very podcast at some point. Oh, so that's episode one, um, and I think episode one was a pretty good hook. Like, like I was certainly going to finish watching it once I had watched episode one. Um, it, it certainly had me more than mildly curious. Mm. Anything else you want to say about episode one? I wasn't convinced yet, but yes, I was definitely curious. I really loved the feel of the show by the end mm-hmm. of episode one, but... I felt like it was so well-paced that it didn't accomplish a lot, which was a good thing. Yes, Because so many other shows are trying to establish characters in a box so that you know what they are going to be from episode two on. And this show did not rush. Yeah, in fact, I think that's a good good point to make, Joe. I I was going to make it at some point, and I'd kind of – it was in the back of my head – and and this is this is a characteristic of most Netflix shows. Even even something like Daredevil takes the time to slow down and 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 you know go through entire episodes without much action happening. And and this series especially is very well paced. And and I think that's something that's missing from modern network television that we can do with Netflix because it's just a different feel entirely. And Netflix is doing a really good job of this. And episode one really sets the standard for the pacing of this show. You're, there's there's some action that happens in episode one, but you're spending a lot of time unfolding the story, and I think that's a really good thing. I really like the pacing. It's you're absolutely spot on with that. Well, and they're not even called episodes; they're called chapters. Chapters, and in yes. that way, yes. chapter again, one. like a novelization, they don't really reveal all their secrets and flesh out characters in chapter one. It is a great hook to capture your attention for chapter two and so on. And it's usually by the end of say chapter three, you have a better compelling understanding of the stage of the story. And that's what keeps you hooked to the novel through, you know, chapters three through 38. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's a bit more like that. Yeah. So chapter one uh, was called the vanishing of Will Byers. Now chapter two, episode two was called chapter two, the weirdo on Maple street. Um, And this is where the boys learn. See, they barely just met 11 in the previous one. And now she's, she's uh, hiding out in the basement of, of Mike uh, and, uh, so the boys learn that the girl's name is 11, uh, and that this is something that's tattooed on her arm, this number. And so they nickname her L, which I love. I love that they nickname 11 L and, and that's the only name we ever get for her is 11. Um, and the, the scientist, uh, from the laboratory, they find a substance oozing on the walls at Joyce's home. And, uh, at Mike's home, L recognizes Will in a photo and then she uses uh, psychokinesis uh, to lock the door to prevent Dustin and Lucas from informing Mike's parents about her. Um, so they can, And then they continue searching for Will. Hopper discovers a torn piece of Elle's hospital gown outside the laboratory grounds. Um, as you can tell, I'm kind of skimming over the, the episode description here on Wikipedia. And Nancy goes with her friend Barb to a party at her boyfriend Steve's house. Uh, Will's brother Jonathan investigates his disappearance. Um, and he's photographing things in the woods where Will went missing. Uh, he hears screams, and he runs to, and sees Steve, Nancy, and their friends in the swimming pool, and he photographs them. It was odd, the whole photographing thing, I thought, at first. It resolved itself later, but, um, you know, that was kind of odd. But So that's what he's doing. Um, and then Barb vanishes. And uh, we actually, was it this episode, I think we did get the idea. I, I said... Um, when we saw Barb vanish and then we kind of we got a glimpse into this other world uh, where she's in an empty swimming pool and she gets yanked back in after she's trying to climb out. I, I, I said from the beginning that that Barb was dead <laughs> and uh, we have sounded we have sounded spoilers. So uh, spoiler alert. She is. You know. <laughs> we well, didn't have so, to say it. 
Why not? No, it's it's evident. Uh, we have a clear cut conclusion to her arc. <laughs> we know what yes, happened to yes. Barb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's chapter two. What what are your thoughts on chapter two, Joe? Uh, see, I, I, it, those first few episodes I thought were really good until we got farther into the season. So it's sort of like coming to the end, I realize that some of the other episodes and moments of the series were yet to come. The best moments were yet to come. So mm-hmm. if if the show had steadied the course with episodes one and two's quality, then I think I'd have been a little bit more disappointed by the overarching story of Stranger Things. So I'm happy that it, it transcended those first two episodes. And that is not to say that like so many other shows, the first few are duds and you just have to wait for, for five or six episodes to really get into it. It's not like that. It's still, though, like on a scale of one to 10, maybe episodes one and two were easily a seven, but then other episodes and moments of the series were a nine, you know, so it's uh, they were good. But um, the best things were yet to come. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree that the best things were yet to come, but I think these were both really good episodes. I think chapter two certainly was where I decided that I was finishing the series for sure. Like I even if I wasn't doing a show on it, I would have I would have pressed on, especially with the the whole thing with Barb at the end. And and uh, we kind of oh, one one of the detail that wasn't in the description that I was kind of loosely reading from is uh, Barb's blood dropped into the water. And that's when she, the monster grabbed her and pulled her into the uh, other dimension. We're not even sure what it is at this point, but this other place. And that's when we start getting a sense of what, th- that's going to become important later on is the blood and then the monster. Speak, can, can I make a reference here to Star Wars because the series yes. does makes plenty of them? It reminds me of what happens with the Wampa attacking Luke on Hoth at the beginning of Empire Strikes Back. In the original cut, the only sacred cut that anybody should ever see, then they can't see Ag- because it's agreed. not readily available. The Wampa is hardly seen, and it, it's really imposing for that reason. It actually works much better. You know, it's really cool because on Hoth, you don't know anything about the strange planet except that it's like the Arctic from top to bottom. Yes. And, and there's no signs of life, but you know that the rebels are there. Luke is obviously in danger of the elements, the weather. He could be exposed to the cold and freeze and die if he's out there overnight. And then there's a huge scare when a monster smacks him in the face and then he's dragged through the snow and you don't see who his attacker is, but there's a flash of some eyes and some hairy beast. And it's so fast. It's a clean cut. Boom. Luke is down. That's all Luke saw. You saw as much as Luke sees. And that was really, whoa, it was a really moving thing that we hadn't seen in the first Star Wars movie. And I think that it was a moment that you knew that Empire Strikes Back was just going to get even better. And this story had that moment where Barb was caught by the monster. You don't really see the monster. It's super dark out there. They don't really reveal much, but you see that there is a struggle. And there's even a chance that the monster is simply down in the water below the diving board lurking yeah. there. And it's like, why doesn't Barb see this? Well, it, it, there's enough light out there that she could see it. And she's got her glasses on. She can see things, but she doesn't see this monster that's lingering in the water where her feet are. And that's just really yeah. strange. You don't know if it's behind her, if it's below her. And then the next moment she's just gone. And for a second you think, did she just drowned? But then it's more than that. And yeah, yeah. It, that was well, really well done. Yeah, and the restraint, I think, is very notable uh, here. 
in a, in an age when we can do pretty much anything we want for less than we've ever had to you know for less money than it's ever taken to do it before um it it's the restraint here is is phenomenal and it, it really works well like you said the whole wampa scene i mean it's just less is more less is more and it works really well so mm-hmm. we should move on to chapter three because we have a lot of we still have a lot of chapters to cover and we're 20 <laughs> 24 minutes into the show so all right um, just three minutes for chapter three yeah, chapter three, Holly Jolly. Barb wakes up in an empty pool near a dark creature. Okay, this is when the the, the empty pool and dark creature happens. See, I get the lines blur between the episodes. That's how much they flow together. So she tries to climb Barb out. was at the edge of the water at the end of episode two? Yeah, well, she we knew she was taken at the end of episode two. Okay. So, so Barb wakes up in an empty pool uh, near a dark creature. She tries to climb out in vain, but is dragged down. Uh, Joyce starts stringing Christmas lights around her home. Uh, trying to establish communication with Will, who can turn them on and off, apparently. Uh, Hopper and his deputies research Dr. Martin Brenner, the laboratory, and a woman named Terry Ives, who claims her daughter was taken by scientists. Elle starts having, a, or has a flashback, in which Brenner, uh, whom she calls Papa, has her put in solitary confinement for refusing to telekinetically harm a cat. And then Nancy worries mm. about Barb, who is missing, um, so Barb was Nancy's friend and now Barb is missing and she, she was in it last we saw, she was yanked back into an empty dark pool. Um, you know, Steve and his friends discover Jonathan's photographs and destroy them. Uh, such a terrible, uh, heartbreaking kind of a thing going on there. Oh, really just annoying. Um, if I, oh, if yeah. I knew a man named Steve like that, I'd have punched him in the face. Oh man. Na- Steve was so annoying, at least during the first few episodes. Uh, but Nancy notices a photo of Barb before she disappears and returns to Steve's house to search for her. Nancy finds Barb's car and sees the creature in the woods. Joyce establishes a code with Will using lights, which he uses to tell her that he is alive but unsafe. He tells Joyce to run as a creature begins to climb through the wall. Will's body is discovered at the wa- in the water at a quarry. You got you got to linger on the crawling through the wall bit. <laughs> Every time yeah. there is some strange portal and there's goo and there are strange noises and there's strange darkness and flowing bits of dust lingering the air that seem to be suspended of the laws of gravity. It's really, uh, that's where the stranger things in the title comes from that you're, you're thinking, what is going on here? And a couple of times watching the government secret, secret organization unfold and showing things to do with Papa I had to think <laughs> yeah, Papa. that was the stranger things that this was all about. But then they show things to do with, which, you know, was like, I, I lost count of the fingers on the monster's hands. I think there was at least seven, maybe oh, eight. Oh, I didn't notice that detail. Yeah. There was some, a weird number of webby fingers and just <laughs> things like that, that you see a face that's all mouth, but like many jaws and kind of like a flower petal blooming thing. Ugh. You, uh, I don't, I don't think my nightmares ever have introduced anything so odd, strange. (laughs) The monster was really well done, I would say. So the big thing here to me in this episode is we get to the end and Will's body is discovered at the quarry. And that's, that was concerning to me. This, I was hooked at the end of episode two. Then I'm like, wait, is this entire thing? We've been spending all this time worrying about saving Will and is he now going to be dead? Like we didn't know and, and, and we couldn't, it was really weird. And the whole discovering the body was weird and everything about it was weird. And we didn't know what was going on. Mm. Uh, and people were apparently giving up. There was going to be a funeral. Like what is happening? So it, it, ser- it did serve to draw me in, in a different way. It also annoyed me a little because I didn't know where it was going, which the annoyance went away when I found out what was really going on. But all right. So but your three was, minutes are up for episode three. Continue. 
Okay. So chapter four, the body. Um, L proves to the boys that Will is still alive by making contact through Mike's walkie-talkie. Uh, using their science teacher, Mr. Clark's powerful ham radio to contact Will, L and the boys overhear Will talking to his mother, saying he is afraid. Joyce hears him through her living room wall and tears the wallpaper, revealing a flesh-like substance with Will on the other side. Oh, my. Mm. She breaks the wall with an axe. I could have, I, I was screaming at the TV at this point, Joe. That will not work. You can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so she, she breaks the wall with an axe. This only opens to her front porch. Uh, examining Jonathan's body, uh, I'm sorry, Jonathan's photo of Barb, Nancy realizes the monster is also visible. And Jonathan realizes that Nancy's description of the creature matches his mother's, a humanoid figure with long arms and no face. Uh, Hopper confronts the Stadies, uh, who found Will's body. And uh, Hopper's very suspicious about all this, and he goes to the morgue, and you can see, oh man, this scene where he's, he's wrestling with having to make sure this is Will's body, and using a knife to cut the body open, and and you can just see, like, if it is a body and he cuts it open, this is going to be bad. And, oh, but his instincts tell him it's not the right body. It's such a great scene. And he cuts it and pulls out all the fluff that's stuffing the body. It's not his body. Joyce was right all along. Uh, yeah, this is chapter four. There's a, this, this, this was definitely a big turning point, I think, in the series that really it started to speed up. I didn't know what to think when he pulled out the fluff at first in the body in the morgue because I was thinking, do they actually put fluff in? bodies after they've <laughs> run an autopsy. That was you know? a little weird, I suppose. I, I know but, they, but I know they take they the organs the 80s, out Joe. and stuff like that, and your your carcass in the ground doesn't actually have all of your organs unless you tell yeah, yeah. people not to mess with you. But uh, yeah, I was wondering <laughs> about the fluff. I was like, is that really real or is that really, really real? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But it was obvious that the body had been faked, and and the the states, uh, this there was state secrets being hidden, and government was hiding stuff. And Hopper doesn't like this at all. Um, and this is this is where this is I think where Hopper's story really starts to get interesting, and 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 I start to like Hopper a lot more as a character, and start to get into his character, and start rooting for him. Hopper was very enjoyable to me from the get go because a lot of the characters were feeling like they were doing a wonderful job of of acting out a part in the eighties, but the performance for Sheriff Hopper was really done well by the man, David Harbour. And he feels like he belonged to that era of actors. He has a sort of a pleasant younger Jack Nicholson quality to him. And you mentioned that to me on, on chat and I I wasn't like, I'm not quite there on the Jack Nicholson thing. I can see some of what you're talking about, but Man, Jack Nicholson is always such a nasty character. Usually, when you see him, and and it just there's none of that here with Hopper. I don't think. I'm think I'm thinking maybe like Jack Nicholson before he went crazy in The Shining. <laughs> okay, that, okay. Uh, this guy who he's just a normal guy, but he obviously like anybody, he's got some things that have happened in his past, but he also means to do good by the people in his town. And yeah. he, but it's just his pleasant face, but also his performance and his slicked back hair and. He feels like a man of the time. I, I really enjoyed the character, Jim. And they yeah. even give him the the sheriff's hat with the brim and all, like he was a modern cowboy. He he is your hero with the the, the cowboy brimmed hat like thing. And I know I know it's a sheriff's hat. It was at least authentic. It wasn't like he was actually wearing a cowboy's hat, but you knew what it represented symbolically for the story. He is the hero because he's he's got the hat. Okay. 
Chapter four, I, I really, this is this is where the series really got interesting and I really liked it. That's what I have to say. Chapter five, the flea and the acrobat. Uh, the, uh, I actually really like the analogy that was used here to describe uh, the, the reference of the flea and the acrobat and the flea is able to walk on the underside of the rope. It was such a great analogy. Um, but let, let, let me summarize this episode. Will's father, Lonnie, assures Joyce that her experiences are hallucinate, hallucinations. Um, uh, Lonnie is such a <laughs> deadbeat. <laughs> the, the boys conclude that Will is trapped in an alternative dimension, which Elle calls the Upside Down, the same place on, on another level of existence. Hopper infiltrates the Hawkins National Lab and discovers the portal. He pursues the creature, but it's knocked out, uh, out by suited guards, but is knocked out by suited guards. He wakes up in his own home and finds it bugged. Uh, also, a great you, you almost think that Hopper is being like deranged here in this scene. Uh, after Will's funeral, the boys ask Mr. Clark about dimensions, who tells them that a space-time tear could create a passage between dimensions. And this is where the whole flea and the acrobat um, uh, analogy come in that he uses. The deputies inform Hopper and Barb's that that Barb's car was found by the state. Hopper finds the state's involvement very suspicious. Uh, posting, uh, positing that a tear in space-time would disrupt the electromagnetic field, the boys follow their compasses to find the source of the disruption. Uh, L rem- remembers being placed in a sensory dep- deprivation tank to telepathically intercept information from a Russian spy. While listening to the spy, she came across the creature. Scared of finding the gate, L re- directs the compass away from the laboratory. Lucas notices the distortion and confronts her. Mike defends her, and he and Lucas fight. L telekinetically flings Lucas off Mike. Lucas recovers and runs away. Uh, in the woods, Nancy and Jonathan find a wounded deer, which the creature drags away following the tr- blood trail. Nancy crawls through a passage to the upside-down world <sighs> and discovers the creature feasting upon the deer. Now, the first thing I have to say about Chapter 5, uh, now that I've read that very long description, Joe, is that I... I was with this episode right up until Nancy crawled through that passageway, and my wife uh, was watching the show with me, and she's like, there's no way. That would not have happened. Nancy (laughs) would not have crawled through that nasty hole in the tree. That would not have happened. I completely agree. It was convenient to the script for her to do it. That's the first point at which I go, that's awfully convenient scripting. I, You know, and I I think you're right. Your wife is right on there. It it feels like this is the kind of thing that – anyone uh, male or female young or old does in a really bizarre situation to just carry the story a little bit further in a really would, heightened emotional would you have crawled through that adrenaline nasty rushing thing? moment no no nobody no. In the, nobody in the nobody right in mind the right would mind. accept no. in a fictional story but it, it also didn't really take away much from the moment because we've seen that kind of thing done so often from other story stories poorly and also effectively and this was one of those times where even though it's just not logical or rational and even your if you were the person there by the tree you just like lose your mind to go through that tree i yeah, think that yeah, i don't get it it only makes sense in in a uh, fictional sense and we quickly forgive our characters for that because uh, we just think that they're bigger people than we are. They they have some insight that we don't have. We don't know. We don't know what she ate for breakfast that day, TJ. And uh, <laughs> she whatever. ate her Wheaties or That's something. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I wasn't quite buying it, but that's fine. The rest of the episode is pretty good. Here we we also get introduced to the tension. That that's going to have to be reconciled in the next couple of episodes. And and you know no no story is 
is without like story usually is not as good unless there's drama between your characters even the characters that you like and want to reconcile there usually has to be some drama between them now and we're in works- episode five though now right yes correct okay so here's an observation for you the characters the ensemble cast most of them don't know each other but they steadily meet greet and end up working together throughout these eight episodes and it's that not that felt, they don't know each other; it's that they just don't. They haven't spent a lot of time together. They know yeah, who most each other of these, are. They live yeah. in a small town. Most know? of these and, people and are just barely acquainted. Yeah, yeah, and obviously Nancy is Mike's brother. For or, I'm sorry, Nancy is Mike's sister. Mike is Nancy's brother. But I'll even so, right. they don't actually have all that many scenes together throughout the no, episodes. No. So that's true. That's yeah, true. the family usually does their own things separately, like they would in real life. Like you know, teenage girls don't really spend time with their younger brothers, right? Uh, no, I, I would suppose not. Mm. So, moving on to chapter six, the monster. Jonathan pulls Nancy through the portal, saving her from the creature. In her bedroom, she is afraid to be alone and asks Jonathan to stay. Steve sees them together through her bedroom window. This was another convenient thing, but we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, the next day, Nancy and Jonathan resolve to kill the monster and purchase the supplies from an army surplus store. Uh, after a fist fight, Steve uh, and with with Steve, Jonathan is arrested. After he inadvertently assaults an officer, and I never saw that assault take place. I was so frustrated by that. All I saw was them pulling him off. I didn't see him assaulting an officer. Mm. Um, Joyce and Hopper decide to investigate together. After Hopper discovers his home has been bugged, they track down Terry Ives. She is Elle's biological mother who underwent MKU, MK Ultra training while pregnant, whatever that is. Uh, Jane, now known as uh, Jane, now known as Eleven, was taken by Brenner who is the Matthew Modine character. Elle shoplifts frozen waffles and recalls how she accidentally opened the gate to the Upside Down. Uh, so that was a revelation that the Upside Down, the, the gate to the Upside Down. Um, no, wait, wait, uh, what, what the, was that again? After she shoplift Ego waffles, what'd she yeah, do? Yeah, she she remembers how she opened the gate to the Upside Down. Ah, that okay. We see the flashbacks of how the gate was opened, and that's what started letting the monster get through. Uh and while searching for Elle, Mike and Dustin are ambushed by Troy and his bully friend. Troy holds Dustin at knife point and demands that Mike jump off the cliff into the lake where Will's body was discovered, which would likely kill him. Mike jumps but is levitated to safety by Elle. Lucas sees agents leaving the laboratory and realizes they are heading to Mike's house to capture Elle. Now is a good time to mention that there were a lot of flashbacks throughout the series, and I I feel like they did a good job because so many times it feels like flashbacks are saying just wait, just wait wait for the next flashback scene it, it, it's going to all make sense but here it seemed like every time there was a flashback it was really necessary <laughs> that it was actually revealing something you mean like with arrow yeah, exactly like there's <laughs> there's 10 se- uh, seasons worth of flashbacks that that all end with a feeling of don't worry about it. It all makes sense. Just, just, just wait till we get to the entire series finale. It'll well, all make so with sense. Arrow, with Arrow, I felt like they did okay for the first couple of seasons. I really felt like the last couple of seasons, none of the flashbacks made a lot of sense. Like there was relevant, there, there were sometimes relevant to the story, but they never built up to anything more than just, oh well. By the way, he used to deal with this other magic thing at this place and point in time. <laughs> like I, you know, it just got it's just gotten out of hand, and they need to drop the whole thing. But you're right here, at least for the first season, the flashbacks that Elle experiences work very well and serve the story very well and give us critical information. Yeah, there's like new revelations in every one of them. Whether yes. it's the relationship with uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, well, I just call him Papa, but uh, I don't mean that. I don't. <laughs> Matthew Modine is the is the actor. The doctor. Um, I don't even think he deserves a title. It should be taken from him. 
And yes, his, I agree. I his agree. doctorate should be burned. So uh, completely and totally. Yeah. So this uh, this uh, episode pushes things forward pretty far, actually. Um, with especially with Joyce and, and Hopper investigating things, and and uh, there's there's some story stuff going on where Steve is going to start taking a turning point that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It just sort of all of a sudden he takes a turning point. That's well, fine. I whatever. Got the, I got the impression that Steve was trying on a like trying on personality traits and he was really good as a chameleon to be the most forceful character, the dominant person in any social situation. And he was really competent at that, but not actually a bright guy or a good guy or a clever guy or a bad guy. He was just trying to have a great time and knew that he was a leader. So he could lead the charge in any situation, but he was mostly just bored and looking for something to entertain himself with as the days go by. Until Nancy comes into his life and she she's a girl with more substance. She's looking at how Steve is like her opposite. And that's why he is interesting to her and why she is interesting to him. So he, I think, is oddly compelled by the fact that she lives for a reason. And she's just trying to nail down those reasons. And yeah. he doesn't live for anything. So he is really strangely compelled by that. Yep. Okay, chapter seven, the bathtub. Uh, Lucas warns Mike via walkie-talkie that government agents are en route. Uh, Mike, Dustin, and L flee the house and narrowly escape with Lucas. L telekinetically flips a van that blocks their path. At their junkyard base, Luke, Lucas reconciles with Mike and L. Joyce and Hopper are called to the police station where they find Nancy with Jonathan, and Jonathan reveals his knowledge about the creature to his mother and Hopper. The group contacts Mike and his friends, and they rendezvous with him at the junkyard formulating a plan to make a sensory deprivation tank to amplify Elle's powers so she can search for Will and Barb. They break into the middle school and construct the tank in the gym. With Joyce's help, Elle successfully enters the Upside Down to find Barbara dead and Will alive, hiding uh, in the Upside Down Castle Byers, his makeshift fort. Hopper and Joyce attempt to break into Hawkins' laboratory to save Will, but they are apprehended by security guards. Nancy and Jonathan resolve to kill the monster and steal their hunting gear back from the police station. In the Upside Down, the monster breaks into the fort where Will is hiding. This is where I had some questions. I think this is where some scientific stuff or fantasy stuff or whatever you want to call it breaks down, Joe. Um, I had questions about the interaction of the shadow world, the Upside Down, with our real world. Because it appears that it's there's you can see all the elements of our world and you can interact with them i guess because like obviously uh will was in castle byers uh hiding out but then like um the monster destroys castle byers in the upside down does that destroy it in the real world it doesn't appear to like other things were destroyed in in the upside down that that were still there in the real world like i I, I, I'm a little confused about how this all interacts. What and do you I, have to say, Joe? I think that this is just like one of the storytelling. Uh, this is like a storytelling ploy thing. This is often done in Hollywood where your most fantastic and less believable rational things are going to happen late in the story. So episodes seven and eight are very late in a singular story. And they're hoping that you're not paying attention too closely to the the breakdown, the fact that these things don't add up, they're hoping that you buy into they're the They're asking moment. nerds to not pay attention to the details? Yeah, Come they're, now, they're, Joe. Everybody's got a little bit of a nerd in them, deep down, and <laughs> our nerd is usually silenced by this phase in the series. So yeah, you, d- you yeah. didn't binge watch it, TJ. That's the problem. If you had binge watched this- No, I did. This, I watched- Oh, this was definitely binge watching. I watched this series worthy, in about uh, a week's time. But if you had like <laughs> marathoned it, if you had gone through in a, a day or two- 
then I think that that would have completely slipped your mind. You'd gotten to those points and you'd have bought into the trappings I, and you'd have been I more don't like to. I don't like to watch stuff that that that. I don't like to do it that way. I like to spend a little more time and savor it, Joe. Yeah, soak it in. Yeah, soak it in. Yeah, that's what yeah. this show is all about, right? So other than that, this this episode was fine. I think it just started to reveal some flaws in the way that the uh, underworld was constructed. But that but the, that said, I think that episode seven was my favorite. I loved really? the payoffs for many of the jokes, the some of the one-liners. The, the kids are talking to their science teacher, which was just a real underrated <laughs> yeah, joy of the series. And <laughs> he was good, they, yes. they con him into giving the you know them an idea of how to put together the the bath and the way that they do that was just so, so good. And yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the payoffs for sheriff moments and just, I mean, even down to the fact that there's payoffs in the background concerning like the parents of the boys and how they interact and they just follow through with their uh, arcless story. And I, I don't know. I, I really thought that episode seven was the most fun, but it wouldn't have made sense without one through six. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. That's for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. And, so and it, yeah, the it was, whole, it was the, a real I, I treat. Knew, I knew as soon as I saw the title of the chapter, the bathtub. It's like they're going to build a makeshift sensory deprivation <laughs> tank. I'm a nerd enough to know what a sensory deprivation tank is, and we've already <laughs> seen it in the flashbacks. That's exactly what they're going to do in this episode. And sure enough, that's what they did. Uh, so uh, yeah, it was a good episode. I liked it a lot. Except for you know, like I said, I just had I, I have questions about the uh, about the upside down and how it interacts with the real world. Now, now the and those that, questions are only heightened further on. The thing that I wasn't too sure about was taking the kids to the school and using the school during the night to have yeah. a showdown and like your your secret hideout for yeah, yeah. the boys. And I, I know that. It, it maybe it was convenient because they needed a large space and they needed supplies and the school had those. But on the other hand, it felt kind of like the city for Michael Bay's Transformers films in a little bit of a way. Like, why Joe, are we having you have said dirty words. Why are you saying dirty words on my podcast? Okay, just uh, hear me out. I, I'm not <laughs> criticizing Stranger Things. I'm just saying, why is it that all the superheroes wind up having their big knockout drag down fight in the big city where they can hurt other people and the, setting the stage for the big fight in the city where you're going to destroy things seems very irrational. And yeah. it was sort of the same kind of thing. Why are all the boys, why are all the people using the school as a center for getting things done with the monster world and saving people on the other side and fighting monsters? It didn't seem like a safe place. It didn't seem like a good use for the school property but by then, I think that they really just don't want the audience to be scrutinizing such details. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I did question the school thing. That That is a good point. That is a valid point. Chapter 8, The Upside Down. By the way, it looks like we're this episode is going to run longer than our uh, previous two-episode average running time, which, which I suppose is okay to do once in a while. So Chapter 8, The Upside Down. Interrogated by Brenner, Hopper gives up L's location in exchange for neutrality and access to the gate. He and Joyce enter in hazmat suits and discover the creature's nest where they find Will unconscious with a slug-like creature in his esophagus. Ugh, that was gross. <laughs> Nancy and Jonathan booby-trap the buyer's home and then cut their hands to attract the creature with their blood. But Steve arrives, intending to apologize to Jonathan about their fight. The monster attacks and Steve traps it, but it escapes back to the upside down. In the middle school where Elle and the boys are hiding, Mike asks Elle to a school dance, then kisses her. Agent Storm, by the way, I knew that there was some, that things were going to happen to L when that happened. Uh, that's just the way story works. 
Um, <laughs> Agent Storm the school, but L crushes their brains. Uh, that was very gross. And I have a lot of questions about why the show felt like it needed to show a preteen girl uh, killing so many people, but we'll come back to that. As Brenner dis- as Brenner recovers the weak- weakened L, the monster enters and begins to attack Brenner. The boys escape with L and hide in a room until the monster finds and tries to attack them. L pins it against the wall, says goodbye to Mike, and both vanish. Well, yeah, it's a little bit of an under-description. <laughs> Will is hospitalized and reunited with his mother, brother, and friends. Hopper is reluctantly picked up by a black car. One month later, Nancy has gotten back together with Steve and both are friends with Jonathan. Hopper leaves Egos in a box in the woods. In the bathroom of his home, Will coughs up a slug-like creature, briefly sees the world like the Upside Down, and then returns to dinner. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so... What what do we have to say about the conclusion of this uh, first season, Joe? Really impressed. I agree that it was really heavy there for L to kill all those guys, but they that really deserved it, heavy. TJ. I, they really deserved it. I know they deserved it. it. And L had to be it, the one but, but to get Joe, her vengeance. I I felt like they dumped a a big truckload of bricks on me when she did that i'm like oh oh my gosh what just happened that that little girl well it was a reminder that this show is not actually meant for children (laughs) Mm -hmm. well it never was yeah but definitely not if you come to that point wondering should i show this to my kids oh no (laughs) yeah that was rough that was a very intense scene for sure but you got to um, also remember that in an odd way, it was also convincing because of the the rigorous, torturous manipulation they put her through. She wanted them dead. She wanted to protect her friends. So there was just no other way around it. They were going to take all of the kids and use them like lab rats. And they were going to continue to use L. And she knew that that'd be bad for all of her friends. And they were using guns like on the kids. So the kids were defenseless. What else are you going to do? You're going to crush their brains. Yeah, I suppose. Um, yeah, and I, I knew, like, because I knew earlier when Mike was really getting close with Alan, finally admitting that he had a crush on her and asking her out to the school dance and these sorts of things, I knew bad things were going to happen to Al. And we don't know exactly if she's alive or dead or what happened to her. She just disappeared. When the monster exploded, the uh, the description I read was not accurate when it says they both disappeared. I mean, technically, yes, but the monster, she made the monster explode. Let's be clear. Yeah, it looked like ash. It looked like yeah. <laughs> ash and it looked like the force of her super abilities was enough to disintegrate her in the same action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have uh, some wrap-up thoughts. Um, uh, what is this parallel world? What is it, Joe? What like because like I've already mentioned, the interaction with our world is weird, but like it doesn't seem that there's anything else there. What has this monster been surviving on? Do people just disappear and we assume he's been feeding off of them, or is there other things actually in this world? I'm I'm confused by by that. What's what's happening here? What is this world? Are we going to find out in the future? They're there to explain all the disappearances, all the strange disappearances okay. around the okay. world. You know, when people just go missing, that's uh, that's where they wind up. Stranger things have happened, TJ. It's terrible. No, no, that's the point. This is Stranger Things. Mm. Mm. But that world does seem ravaged. It looks like that the monsters have been living leanly off of nothing because they've already ruined the world. They've destroyed all the food supply. But it's not just about food. I think that the slugs in the mouth thing is akin to bugs that plant the larvae into the bodies of their victims. And then, you know, like uh, I think some wasps and yellow jackets do this kind of thing. So that they're Mm -hmm. buried in a little bit of a hole and inside there is some 
food of the dead carcasses of other insects. The larvae eat off of the other insects to mature until they can bust out of the ground and fly away. And I think that that's I the idea for these. I, I, I'm just guessing because Barb had a slug in her mouth that was also much larger. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And, and then at the very end, there's that other larva that falls into the sink that was much smaller. So the mm. idea, I think, is that these monsters don't just kill you to eat you. They, they're killing you to prepare your body for their babies. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. That's true. Yeah, there, there's obviously a lot of questions here that are that we're going to have to get, dive into in season two. Obviously, season two is meant to answer the or, or at least continue in this process, I think. So so the questions now are, where's Eleven? Is she alive or dead? There's the indication to me that she's alive in the Upside Down. Like, I don't know. Or is that just wishful thinking on Hopper's part? I, I don't know. Um, the Upside Down has obviously changed Will, and that'll have some effect. In what way? We don't know. We're going to have to figure that out. Um, yeah. So, so I, you know, the, and then the whole government conspiracy thing is a big question mark. There's something going on governmentally. We're going to have to dive more into that in season two. So I'm really looking forward to season two. I think there's a lot to, to chew on there. And there's a, they don't have to answer everything. Like even if they want to draw out the government conspiracy and really never explain it, I'm okay with that because it's the kind of yeah, thing that yeah. films often do. And as long as it's well executed, they give us enough to uh, – the, these are – the uh, these are some additional enemies besides the monsters. It it, it it fits the real world. It's plausible. You can see how some scientists, very ambitious and uh, eager to explore something truly fantastic, would take matters into their own hands and arrogantly think that their thoughts and their ways and their ideals and their ambitions are more important. Their goals are more important than the lives of a few children. Mm. So. I can I can buy into that. It doesn't have to be explained like they have a good reason. I don't think they can argue that they have a, a logical or righteous reason. It's not ethical to do anything that they're doing. But if somebody's yeah. going to do it, somebody's got to do it that has a lot of power, has a lot of authority, has a big bank account that can afford the facilities and the testing equipment. So that is, I mean, they are really the reason why we have the connection to the other world and I think if you didn't have the the well-supplied government conspiracy, then you don't have a story because the kids wouldn't have happened across this other world by accident and nobody else in the story would have without crazy Dr. Brenner. Yeah. Well, Joe, we were going to discuss a couple of articles that I dropped into the show outline here, but we're we're kind of over time. What do you want? What do you want to do? Do you want to just keep going over time, or do you want to just drop them in the show notes and let people read them? I say drop them in the show notes because I think, in a way, the there all the articles have to do with things like season two, and yes, if you want to explore confirmed. that, yeah, it's that. There you go. We we should tell you that that it is confirmed. And it'll probably have to do with the same characters and it'll continue about a year after the events of episode eight. So yeah, the although kids we, are we do know we're older. getting new characters introduced as well. And so that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. So we're going to introduce new characters. We're going to catch up with old characters. So, yeah, I'll, I'll drop these in the show notes. Uh, Stranger Things season two is confirmed. Here's everything we know. This is uh, this is an article on uh, digitaltrends.com. I've never heard of them before, but that's where I found the article. Uh, there's an interview with the Duffer Brothers, which I haven't had time to read all the way, but was very interesting. It's on Variety.com. Yeah, they so seem the, really open. They they seem to be really open to discussing the the, yes. the details of their story. They want to give away a little bit more than I think a lot of other filmmakers are willing to, and mm-hmm. that's been refreshing. I think they know. I think they're that 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 to me shows a confidence in your story. I think confidence you know, in your story and in your audience. Yes, yes, I agree. 
So yeah, so we'll drop those things in the show notes. Show notes for this episode will be found at nightowl.fm slash retake slash three. And that's where you'll find, uh, you can share that link with friends so they can they can listen to the episode. Please do that. We, we, need, to, uh, we need you to get us noticed. Uh, and especially since we know you enjoyed the show, we know you enjoyed Stranger Things. So do that. And that's where you'll find the show notes and things as well. So you can follow along with us, read those articles and, and catch up on things like that. So we, we would love for you to continue this conversation with us. Uh, we, we enjoyed this show very much. Joe, I think you may have enjoyed it more than I did. So um, people can continue this conversation with you on Twitter. Where can they do that, Joe? Yes, please do. I am JCS Darnell on Twitter, and you are TJ Draper Pro still, right? That's correct. I you am TJ Draper Pro. I haven't changed it in years. It was, years ago, I changed it from something else, and it's been TJ Draper Pro. TJ Draper Pro, I, if I could talk for years, and that is what it will continue to be. Um, so yeah, you can you can catch up and continue the conversation there. We'd love for you to do that. You can also follow night follow. Night Owl, it's late, Joe. You can follow <laughs> Night Owl on Twitter, Night Owl FM, and uh, so be sure to do that for uh, episode announcements and other cool things and links to to various things throughout the week. So that is it for us. Give us a great review in iTunes as well if you if you think about us. And uh, with that, we're gonna sign off. I had a lot of fun with this one, Joe. Thanks for doing this with me. I'm glad we did it. I'm glad you agreed to do this this uh, series with me. So it paid off. Me too. Talk to you later. Ta ta.